This is part two of Bob Lagasa surviving a grizzly bear attack while hunting elk in the Montana wilderness in October of 2018. If you haven't heard part one, go listen to that first and come back. We are dropping into the story after a mother grizzly bear knocked Bob onto the ground, bit his arm, and hit his face with her claws. What saved Bob's life for now was his hunting partner, Greg, spraying the bear with bear spray multiple times. When the bear let go of Bob, he instantly reached for his own bear spray and then managed to accidentally spray himself in the face. Both hunters are now having a really difficult time seeing anything because of their burning and swollen eyes. They discovered that putting their face in the snow is helping with the pain. Bob doesn't know how bad his injuries are yet because they need to get out of the woods first. They also don't know where the bear went and if she is going to return. This is not an excellent scenario to find yourself in as your eyes are swelling shut from bear spray. realize that I can't see and it's deathly quiet if I'm going to die it's going to be like right now where I don't see anything and I realized at that point I got to fight for this and pulled my head up and uh, started basically holding open my eyes with my fingers so that I could see Greg was kind of doing the same thing and we thought we got to get out of here Bob later credited thinking about his family as the greatest motivation for figuring out how to get to safety. To get to the road, which the main road was probably about six, 700 yards straight, but that we would have to go through probably another three to 400 yards of sagebrush. So we decided to go out the way that we came in. So we backed up and got up on the side of the hill so that you could see what's around you. So we could see what was around us. We had, in a sense, a safe zone where there, where we weren't um, completely surrounded or immersed in the sagebrush. And we worked our way, you know, it took us a long time to get, uh, you know, almost a third of a mile um, because we were having to stop, you know, like every couple of minutes and, you know, kind of take a, take a breath where our eyes could kind of um, get a little bit better kind of spitting water in my hand and throwing it in uh, in my eyes. And after about about 10 minutes of trying to get prepared to, to leave, you know, of throwing snow in my face and water, I kept spitting water in my hand and my hand kept on clicking and it was getting harder to, to cup. You know, I'd do this and put it in my eye. It was starting to kind of lock up and I thought, I think she broke my arm. And I'm feeling my arm. And it's like, feels fine. I mean, I could still move my, my hands, but it was starting to pop and make noise and be a little bit, and it hurt a little bit, not, not crazy amount. The most of the pain was the burning on my face and, you know, the scratches and that type of stuff. 
So we made it along the side of that hill and we saw kind of an opening that was probably around 60, 70 yards wide of, uh, of a swath of low grass and sagebrush on the side. And we thought we can beeline through that and at least have some sort of um, uh, visual protection or at least somewhat prepared if, we, if there is another attack. And made it down to the road. And it was at that point we got to the road. Greg uh, beelined down the, the main road to back where the truck was. And left you alone. Yeah. I was on a main road. But, I mean, it was, you know, it was like, you know, my, my, my head was on a swivel. Um, I was starting to get a little bit more uh, visual, you know, and putting more and more water in my in my eyes, and it was definitely you know helping. This now has been probably a half an hour. Okay, so it's from the attack, about a half an hour to get to the road. Yeah. Okay. And then Greg came and picked me up. We both were whining, you know, because burned. My arm was starting to hurt now and kind of locking up. We got back to our uh, cabin. We were renting a cabin down the road. We got back to that. I took off my coat, and I did not have any blood on my arm or anything, so didn't know exactly what the damage was. So I took off my coat, and my fleece that was on underneath, it was soaked with blood, like up to my elbow. And I'm like, oh, this is a little bit more than I anticipated. Through all the adrenaline, you hadn't even realized Mm -mm. your condition. So I took off the fleece, and at that point, I was down to just my, you know, my arm, and I could see a huge gouge out of my arm, Um, literally about the size of my thumb, a hole, the width of it, and the depth of it. It went in like, you know, probably good three quarters of an inch, maybe an inch, and a flap of skin that was just kind of folded back. You could kind of tell that the arm was broken just from a little bit of uh, disconfiguration. But, I mean, I still had pretty... I had movement in it, so I wasn't too crazily concerned. Greg being uh, ski patrol, um, he's been on ski patrol for about 40 years, has a pretty good first aid kit. Put me in a splint, did a little bit of cleaning on it, put me in a splint, and we made a drive to the uh, Livingston uh, Hospital. And when we got out to the main highway, we ran into um, the outfitter that lets us hunt there. And we told him what happened and told him, you know, we were heading there. So he got on the horn and he called the sheriff. He called the state patrol. He called the hospital in Livingston and he called Fish and Game. So we're driving the 60 miles from where, where our camp is to Livingston. And it's a brutal snowstorm. And literally... 30 seconds in front of us, a car slides off the road, flips on its top, and slides off the embankment. And we see all these cars pulling over oh at that time. God. And everybody's only going 35. And it, and we're normally like, you know, we'll stop and help. And this time it's like, you know what? We're on our own. <laughs> before, I, before I got to the hospital driving, I called my wife and told her what happened. And, you know, tried to make it as 
calming as I could that I was attacked by a grizzly, but I was fine. And <laughs> How did wor- you try to make that calm news? How did you word that? Oh, honey, how are you doing today? You know, oh, I got attacked by a grizzly, but I'm fine. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to kind of, you know, lay it on the, the line of what happened, but certainly not, I guess I didn't want to exaggerate about any of it by any means. I actually wanted to downplay it yeah. so that she wasn't freaked out. I mean... I was alive. I I knew that, you know... You were going to live. You knew that you were going to live. Yeah. I got to the hospital, walk into the emergency room, and as soon as the doors open, the guy behind the desk gets on the horn and goes, your bear victim is here. And literally, from the ER rooms back there... The door opens up, and here comes a doctor and two nurses, wheelchair. I mean, they were on me in literally seconds. Oh, that's great. It was amazing. It was amazing. They uh, took me in, started cleaning, cleaning up my arm, cleaning up my face, uh, looking at the damage that was, uh, you know, around my eye, and uh, did an x-ray on my arm. They talked. uh, Once we got the x-rays back, they had talked to... uh, uh, a hand and arm, a hand and wrist surgeon in Bozeman, and kind of explained what was going on. And at that point, uh, it was decided and recommended by the the surgeon that I need to get down to Bozeman to uh, have surgery done. But during that time of being in that hospital for maybe hour to get the test done and cleaned up and that type of stuff, sheriff came in, state bull came in. The fish and game officer came in and all took statements because, you know, grizzly is in a, um, a federally protected animal and wanted to know, you know, where exactly and what the whole story, like what I'm telling you. Yeah. One of the questions that Sheriff and Fish and Game asked when they came in, do you think this bear was acting in an aggressive manner? And it's like, no, doing what bear, what mama bears do do you think this bear should be put down? And I'm like, no, this is what mama bears do, you know. If it would have been something where she would have, you know, come running from half a mile away, it might be a different story. So we did an ambulance ride to uh, Bozeman, and I went into the hospital there, um, literally right from the ambulance, I was wheeled into the surgery room where they basically, um, put me out, cleaned out my arm and put a, um, a drain on it. I think it's called, a uh, like a vacuum, yeah. vacuum, vacuum pack or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they could not do surgery for a few days. They wanted to, uh, make sure that the wound was flushed. Naturally because, flushes, yeah, yeah. Because the bone had been compromised with the teeth of the bear. Wow. And which, you know, a lot of bacteria is in there. So they were worried about if they seal, you know, sew me up and fix things, we could have, you know, a bad infection. So I expected to kind of be in and out of the hospital because I wasn't in that much pain. I mean, my face stinging and hurt and eyes were, you know, blurry a little bit. Not so bad now when I got got there. My arm was hurt, but they had me on uh, some morphine now, so it didn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I thought it was going to be kind of in and out. And I said, you're going to be here for three days. I'm like, oh man. (laughs) Greg talked to my wife, told her how many days I was going to be there. Well, 
uh, my two daughters and my wife drove over that that afternoon. That's a that's a drive. That's a, about a five and a half hour drive. Yeah. So I'm I'm a prankster, and you know it's you know it's if somebody in my family is you know sick or something, you know, I try and you know make make it as lighthearted as possible. You know, make jokes, tease them, whatever it might be. Well, they show up to the hospital with they'd stopped at uh, some convenience store on the highway and got me gummy bears. Um, huckleberry or grizzly huckleberry bears, uh, bear claws, everything that was bear related, they brought in there. So it was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Sounds like a good family. That afternoon when I, I was still, I think a little medicated, um, when I came out of surgery, um, got on my laptop and, uh, posted something on Facebook that, you know, attacked by a grizzly bear and before it kind of gets out of hand you know i'm fine you know broken arm da 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 you know everything everything is good for some reason this was one of those stories that went viral um you know by the time that i fell asleep probably about 10 o'clock at night i had you know probably a hundred comments from friends and people that I didn't even know. And it had been shared like, you know, 20 times. And this was a public post. So anybody could see it. This was a public post. Yeah. Being that, you know, that I'm involved with TV, my, um, my, everything is public or I keep it that way. So people can, you know, see, they see me on TV, they can, you know, check into that and, you know, friend or follow me on Instagram, whatever it might be of the different things that I do. So, I wake up the next morning and there's like 1,500 likes and, you know, hundreds of comments. And there's a few, you know, bad comments from people that are, you know, I wish you'd die. Why are you killing defenseless animals and that type of stuff? And then a friend of mine who lives in Bozeman texted me something. He said, you need to change your Facebook setting and shut something down because this made it to uh, the UK and a vegan community on Facebook got a hold of this and holy smokes man it was a it was just the most brutal firestorm of verbal attacks on me that I mean it was it was this nuts. is this is literally as you're coming out of surgery yeah. you're dealing with this oh yeah I'm like holy smokes you don't really have much physical or emotional energy to deal with anything and now you're dealing with this Uh, yeah so the viral attacks were just crazy just brutal and you know wished death upon me um i hope that grizzly you know too bad he didn't finish it off uh hope your wounds get infected and you die that type of stuff and it was a girl grizzly bear get the facts right (laughs) so that was a definitely an eye opener of you know what can happen so i just basically my wife said no leave it leave it leave it because every time that i got attacked you know by somebody that was you know an activist or anti you know hunting i would have you know 20 what i call my keyboard warriors that would defend me, you know, and try and explain, you know, this is, you know, the way that they bring food to, to the table, da 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 you know, trying to exp- you know, be in as rational yeah. as possible. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them weren't, you know, a lot of them were like, you know, well, screw you, you know, well, you know, that type of stuff. So it became a, a battle, but my wife thought, you know, people need to see the extreme that some people are. You don't need to 
tell me that I need to be Catholic or I need to be Jewish or I need to be Republican or I need to be a Democrat. You know, just live your own, you know, live your own life. I'm sure you don't have a problem with people not eating animals and living their lives. No. And you could even disagree with it, but you're not, you don't, you don't tell somebody that you wish they died. No. To be, to be forceful about your beliefs is what drives me up the wall. It's just, uh, things are so extreme now. Um, social media has created that, um, that ability to fire things off from the joke is, you know, from your mom's basement, say whatever you want. So your wife, um, encouraged you to not make the post private. When the backlash started coming back, she said, just leave it alone. Just don't do anything. And I told them, do not respond to it. And you told uh, your wife and yeah. your family, don't get involved. <laughs> She's not on Facebook. Okay. But so they went back, they'd go back to the hotel room at night. And then the next morning or that night, I'd see them firing off stuff, you know, my, my daughter. <laughs> and I'm like, that sounds a little too, I don't want to say educate, uh, more educated than what my daughter would say, but I'm like, that doesn't sound like my daughter. And then the next morning I find out, yeah, mom had my computer last night and she's, <laughs> she was piping off. So uh, it was pretty funny if they yeah. did that. But I just kind of left that alone until I came back to Coeur d'Alene, which I was in the hospital for five days. And at that point I went private and then I had to start kind of blocking people. It was... What happened to make you, to make you change your mind about making the post private? It was just, I was just tired of it. It takes a lot of energy to go through that. It did. It did. It, when I got back, I mean, I'm, obviously I'm kind of stuck in the house for a few days. So <laughs> I uh, just, you know, sat down for one day and did all that and, you know, answered, you know, I did numerous uh, interviews, you know. Yeah, a lot of phone interviews, A lot right? of phone interviews yeah. and a couple TV ones in town. the moment he came face to face with a grizzly bear in the Montana wilderness. With his arm in the mouth of a mother grizzly bear, Bob Lagasa says there was only one thing on his mind. Basically a fight for my life and just doing whatever I could to keep her away from me and keep those claws and those teeth away from my head. One of the things that uh, that I'd promised my daughter, Hannah, um, she's pretty outdoorsy. That year we talked about her and I were going to go up to set up elk camp and camp, you know, for the, and hunt for a week. And This you is know, 2019. 2018. Oh, still 2018. Yeah, this okay. was, <laughs> okay. as soon as I got back from Montana, I was supposed to take her out into the woods for okay. the week in Idaho and hunt. Well, it, you know, it's like, well, that wasn't going to happen. So I sat in the house for about two or three days and wasn't on any sort of pain meds or anything anymore and just, you know, taking the medicine that they had provided me. And uh, I'm thinking, I was like, we can go hunting. (laughs) And so I asked her, do you want to go hunting for a day? I mean, I can't, you know, get too crazy. We can go, you know, a couple areas that are pretty easy to hunt. Even though she knew you were at quite a hundred percent. She knows her dad. She's like, you can make it. You'll be okay. I mean, I was literally, my arm was in, in a cast, a uh, soft cast. Um, 
that was it. You know, my eye had stitches in the inside of my eye because uh, I had that in the emergency room when I was in uh, in uh, Livingston because uh, I had a, a claw mark that was literally like a centimeter away from me losing the eye. Wow. It was really tight. So I had issues with that eye kind of watering, but I mean, I was fine. I was literally fine. I had a broken arm. I mean, kids fall off swing sets all the time, break their arms and they're back to, you know, riding their bike or whatever. That was it. Do you, do you still think you're a kid in your mind? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big, dumb kid. <laughs> so we went out and she shot her rifle. We got her all dialed in again. And so we went out. Um, it was kind of the last day of the season that she could go. It was the last day that... that uh, how, how long after the attack was this? the second or third it was the third day so it would have been eight days it was eight days after the attack and we went out to my friend's piece of property and gave out a bugle nothing we moved around a little bit down to towards the bottom of the creek and i had to have a i had a pole that i a ski pole that i was using as kind of like uh you know for walking for stability and i gave out a bugle when we get down by the creek get an answer (laughs) About 150 yards away, we kind of creep up over the hill. There's all these cows all over the place, and she's now she's immersed. And this was total sensory overload, and it was really cool to see that in her, um, just to be surrounded. And finally, the cows move away, and the elk bugle, and we move up over the peak a little bit over the ridge, and there's the bull. So she ends up getting a bull her first morning. Wow. <laughs> and now I'm here with an arm that's completely wrapped up. I'm like, how am I going to do this? So we had to go in to, to cross the creek because she had shot across the creek. And uh, when we got across the creek, it was really brushy. So I had my counter salt bear spray in my hand as I was walking <laughs> through this brush. I'm making noise. <laughs> There are less grizzlies in Idaho than there are in Montana, but they're still there and there's still a chance. And Bob really wanted to avoid having a second bear encounter in the span of eight days. Let me say that again. Bob's arm was being chewed on by a grizzly bear eight days ago. Bob's daughter, Hannah, had shot her first elk and the two of them were really excited but didn't exactly have a plan how to clean and carry the 800-plus-pound bull elk out. That's about the weight of a big motorcycle. Hannah was healthy and able, but it's a multi-person endeavor, and her dad, in case you forgot, the guy that just got attacked by a grizzly bear eight days ago, yeah, yeah, that guy, he is still nursing injuries, limited to one arm, has a messed up eye, and is using a ski pole as a walking stick to stumble around the woods. So luckily I had one, my friend who, who owns the property, he was there, and I got on the phone and I called up my buddy Greg, and he goes, well, I'm just coming over the hill right now. I could be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> because he was getting ready to go back to Montana because he was guiding. And uh, so had a couple of friends that uh, made it there and, Got the elk out, and it was just kind of a nice ending to the whole thing. And it was good for me. And uh, like Just to get outside. To get outside, kind of get back into it. and um, you know, Share that experience with your daughter has to be priceless. Yeah, and that was the whole thing about it was it was just, that was icing on the cake. That just like, okay, turn something that was 
negative or bad into something that was a good positive and turned into be kind of a, a weird, you know, an incredible story. Hunters go entire seasons and years without getting an elk. And Hannah gets a bull on her first attempt. You can tell Bob is as proud as a dad could possibly be. Not only that she had success, but has proven that she now has these skills to harvest and provide healthy, all-natural food for herself and her family. And hopefully, we'll be able to pass these skills on to the next generation after her. Since then, Bob has also been back to southwest Montana in the same area he was attacked. I went back there this year um, as a guide, and I was guiding in the in this same area. It had snowed six inches the night before. So from all these different areas that we went into to hunt, I saw grizzly bear tracks everywhere. Wow. Everywhere. Wow. Um, there was one set that we saw that we started walking and like we're looking in the in the print and it's like that's weird and it was a sow and a cub and we thought we don't need to be going in here (laughs) yeah i would rather see a boar by itself than see a sow and a cub together because the boar is probably going to run maybe bluff charge you know maybe attack but i doubt it but a mama bear she's going to come after you yeah yeah She's she's gonna get she's gonna get rid of the threat, yeah. She's not just worried about her own safety. Yeah. As soon as we saw the two prints, it's like okay, we got to get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Even though you're hunting elk, I know that you love those animals. By the way, that you talk about them. Hunters are some of the biggest conservationists there are, you know. And for some, you know, they're just they like being out in the woods. And I mean, I've got lots of friends that haven't shot an elk and you know, 10, 15 years, but they still go every year because <laughs> they just love being in the mountains. They love being with their buddies. They love drinking beers by the fire. They love, you know, that almost, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's just being around them. It's being, exciting. Yeah. Being around them. And, you know, we are, um, I, I can speak for myself and most everybody that I know that, you know, we are just huge supporters of, you know, wildlife management and, making sure that those animals are you know taken care of there are organizations that i belong to like rocky mountain elk foundation which you know your membership pays for you know uh, along with tens of thousands of others or hundreds of thousands of other donors of you know they'll buy fifty thousand acres in montana that they will deem wildlife habitat for elk and they'll go in and make sure that ha- you know they've got great food source and that type of stuff so yeah we Hunters are conservationists, you know. The Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has protected over 8 million acres of wilderness habitat for elk, grizzlies, and all the other wildlife living in these environments. You can learn more and even contribute yourself at RockyMountainElkFoundation.org. Even though most hunters really care about the animals in the wilderness that they're in, unfortunately there are exceptions. There is in, in everything that we do, no matter what it is, you do have those, you know, you've got your poachers, um, you know, you've got guys that, you know, fishing that, you know, throwing their beer cans in the lake. Um, you've got golfers, you know, that are never replacing their divots and, you know, throwing their garbage out. I mean, and no matter what, 
there are those people that give the rest of the group a black eye. And that's the sad part. And, you know, the good guys are always trying to go above and beyond to, you know, say, hey, we're not all like that. There are, we see poaching signs out all over, you know, call it in. Um, I mean, I've called in a couple of different things. One was poaching and another one was might have been poaching. I didn't see the act happening, but it, there was some things that were out there. It's like, this doesn't look right. So, you know, it, it's just trying to preserve nature, trying to preserve the, uh, you know, the sport. I hate to call it sport because um, it's not really a sport. I mean, I don't look at it as a sport. Sport to me is, you know, basketball and or uh, skiing that type of stuff yeah. hunting is a it's a food source for me and it's mm-hmm. um, you know it's, it's skill just, it's skill and yeah yeah so it's it's, it's like a more of a religious experience than a yeah, sport it is and uh, i can remember um i guided my um wife's cousins from louisiana and the when this year and when they experienced that first elk bugling at you know 60 70 yards it's pretty loud the look on his face and then he turned around and looked back at me with that just that grin like oh yeah it's 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 a religious experience yes so um when i when i initially reached out to you i said that when i found your story i i found it really inspiring that you went through this traumatic experience that most people have nightmares about and and then afterwards, you're still out in nature skiing and hunting. I didn't realize it was eight days later. That makes it even more amazing. Do you have anything that you could tell somebody who has, you know, a passion that they they maybe they're afraid of something? They're afraid of getting back into their passion. Um, how how did you get back out into the woods so quick after such a traumatic experience? And and could you could you give anybody else any advice on how to get over that? I think. I think part of, well, kind of part of my DNA is, you know, the, 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 the thrill, the challenges of stuff, overcoming stuff, you know, and for my skiing. I've learned so much from that, you know, where I've taken some pretty good tumbles, you know, and uh, you, you get back up and you try and make it happen again. And you just, you get better at it. And to do that, you have to be prepared, you know, and I feel that. I've always felt, especially since I started hunting in the Montana area, that um, the first year I was not very well prepared. I mean, I had a pistol and bear spray, but didn't really think about it too much. And uh, a couple years later, I became very aware of that. I got my pistol here and I've got my bear spray here. And ever since the attack, I've become extremely uh, conscientious of where my bear spray is when I'm when I'm hunting, where my where my pistol is, and I've actually practiced with this counter assault. You know, popping the safety off, spraying it, um, and making sure that um, I know how things work and how quickly uh, I can do things. And I mean, when you practice, you realize, oh, that didn't, that's not working. That's and you figure out the best way to have that happen. So I guess to get back to your question long 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 roundabout no this is good this is um of why i was able to get back out and be passionate about it because you know it's it's always been a a passion of mine to do that and it's like okay i fell down and get back up 
I might have had a different story, you know, if I lost a limb or I lost an eye or something like that. But I came away, in a sense, virtually unscathed. I mean, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. I mean, I got a couple scars and, you know, a broken arm, and that's about it. And uh, so to come back was a little bit easier. I didn't have any, didn't have any nightmares. I think my first kind of nightmare was this before this September and it wasn't even a nightmare it was just that I had a dream that came into a you know encounter with a bear and you know the bear charged me and that was it and then I was awake and did you wake up as he was as the bear was charging yeah it but it it was it wasn't so bad Yeah. yeah so I but I I didn't have any sort of you know nightmares yeah so um if somebody's gone through something traumatic, your it seems like your advice would be, um, you know, dealing with that. It takes practice. It's you're not going to just get over traumatic things right away. Through your skiing injuries and 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 being a professional skier, you've you've kind of been able to practice dealing with the fear and getting back on the skis or getting back out in the woods. Yeah. Yes. 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 It depends on you know what caused your trauma. I mean, if you're mountain climbing and you know you slip and fall down the hill and you know break your hip or break your your leg more than likely that that guy's not going to give up because you know it's a passion he just realized oh this is where i screwed up i won't you know i won't do that again or you know just to try and be as mentally and well prepared as possible whenever you do these things and and then once you've kind of broke back through that barrier it's just you know it's like a a weight lifted off your shoulders. You know, it's like, wow, okay, I'm back. Yeah. Fortunately for Bob, his hunting partner, Greg, had just had a lot of practice using bear spray and was very quick and efficient when it really mattered. What if Greg wasn't as fast to help? Well, if he wasn't um, proficient and, um, I guess you know, well-versed on, on how to use bear spray, you know, it, it, you know, it it could have been much worse. I mean, I I could have been killed. Very easily. I could have had, you know, my arm could have just been mangled and crushed. You know, I could, could have lost an eye. I mean, there's so much more that could have happened literally in, in two seconds. I mean, because the bear was on me for maybe two seconds. Wow. Not very long. And, you know, another two seconds, I mean, could have crushed my head, you know, I don't know. So I'm thankful that he knew what he was doing. And, you know, it's great that I, that I can, that I trust my hunting partner like that, you know, whether, whether it's hunting partner or my backcountry partner for skiing that, you know, he knows how to use a transceiver if I'm stuck in the snow or knows how to do this if, if something happens. So, you know, you've got to have, it's in a sense, it's a buddy system. You know, you have to be prepared for for the worst. Yeah, you you've you really had a firsthand view of how fast things can go wrong, and you guys were prepared, and you still ended up in the hospital. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that was literally three seconds. You know, that was kind of like a nanosecond. Uh, one thing that I'd like to say, though, for people that are out there and they know how to use bear spray the second the second you see a bear get your bear spray out 
I don't care if it's 100 yards away. Mm -hmm. Have your bear spray out and be prepared. You can wave and make noise if you've got the bear spray in your hand or as you're getting the bear spray out, you can still be making noise, but it does not take very long for them to cover ground. They run 35 miles an hour. Wow. And it's like that fast. Wow. Um, that is the, the one thing that, that, that I take away from this. The second that I have any sort of, that is going to be an encounter, I'm grabbing the bear spray. I'm going to be yeah. ready. You know, Even if it's so far away, you're like, oh, it's unlikely that bear's going to... Just have it in your hand. Be ready. And when I go through areas that uh, can kind of be, you know, kind of a bear haven, you know, there's certain, you know, you go through creek bottoms and if I ever have going through sagebrush and you know, I'll have my, uh, my counter assault bear spray either in my hand or I'll have it where the safety is halfway off and it's, you know, sticking out a little bit and it's ready to be, uh, to be grabbed. So I'm just trying to be as proactive as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm firm believer in that stuff. Actually, I've been doing some promotional videos for him, uh, last, last year. Oh yeah. What's the brand? Counter assault. And that's the brand that we had used that we carried there's a few other brands out there yeah, but yeah. that was a brand that we carried and then i wrote them a thank you it's like man oh. saved my life and then that kind of started this but the one thing about this can is it will shoot 40 feet so if a bear is charging you you don't shoot at his head or spray at his head you spray at his feet in front of him you spray like you know a couple yards in front of him oh, wow. because when you spray it billows up yeah. so if you spray it at his head and it, he's gonna, yeah, he's gonna probably run right underneath it. So if you you spray it as you spray at their feet or in front of them, I mean, you just you know if that if it was that garbage can, I would probably spray you know halfway between it so that, and I'd spray at the ground so that it would billow up and come into his face. So yeah, that's really good to know. Yeah, if you remember three things from this podcast, they should be number one, always have bear spray easily accessible when you are in bear country. It is more effective at deterring bears than bullets. Number two, pull out the bear spray as soon as you see a bear, even if it is far off. You can still wave your arms and make noise, but after you have the bear spray in your hand, ready to go. And finally, number three, if you do spray, spray it down in front of the bear so that it billows up into the bear's face. Don't spray it directly at the bear. I cannot think of anyone more qualified to give that advice than someone whose life was saved by bear spray. I don't want to say that it was over dramatized, but oh, it was. Yes. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> it was. It's very factual in a sense. Bob's story was featured on a cable TV show where they do a dramatized reenactment of the events. But, you know, like the blood dripping, you know, it was it, that didn't really happen. I mean, I had a little bit of blood running off my face, but it wasn't like, you know, dripping. Mainly the reason why I'm doing this, like I love hear, I love animals, obviously, and hearing about these stories. But whenever I read news articles or watch, you know, these shows on cable TV about animal attacks, there's like the music and the imagery and it's all, you know, it's so sensationalized. And it's like the story itself is pretty crazy in and of itself. Like you don't have to add all this ridiculousness to it, in my opinion. And, and I love hearing about like the details of how the 
sagebrush was really tall and the snow and the sun wasn't even up yet. Like all those details paint a picture. I'd rather have an understanding of what happened and oh, yeah. be told that I should think it's intense. It's kind of like a book on tape is what, what we're what we're doing there. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the, the sagebrush, like the, my best description of what it's like to walk through there, especially when there's bears in there or there's elk in there, it's kind of like walking through a corn maze. You don't know yeah. what's around the next corner or how you're going to... How you many know. horror movies happen in corn mazes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's it. It's now been over three years since the attack, and Bob is still very active skiing and hunting in bear country. But his most exciting and new hobby is being a grandfather. I can guarantee you that kid is already being exposed to the beautiful outdoors one way or another. To see photos of Bob Lagasse's recovery from the attack, hunting out with his daughter, and, of course, all the bear-themed gifts his family brought him while he was recovering in the hospital, sign up for our email list. It's also where we are going to be doing some juicy giveaways and releasing exclusive bonus content, including a video where I break down every bear attack in the Bible. So please sign up for that email list at theteethpod.com. This show was co-produced by Scott Neary and myself. Music is by Davey Chedwigan and Joshua Lopez. I am Jeremy Carberry. Hope you make time to get outside today, even if it's just a short walk around your neighborhood to enjoy what's blossoming. Get out there. And always be sure to give the wildlife the space and respect it deserves. Thanks for listening. This was an epic story. And there are a lot more I'm excited to share. So subscribe and have a great day by going outdoors.